Welcome to ContenderCast, a global leadership and consumer industries entrepreneurship podcast centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now, here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas today, guys. You guys are going to love this topic in 250 plus episodes. We've never really dug in on cybersecurity, and we're doing that today. And this is such a hot topic, not only like around the globe or even nationally or locally, but for you guys that are entrepreneurs, this is something that isn't always top of mind, but today we're going to dive into it and we're going to unpack why it should be. So on the podcast today is Dr. Eric Cole. I mean, just an unbelievable expert in this space. Eric, it is so great having you on the podcast. It is my pleasure, and thank you for having me. Dude, this is so great, and I'm, I'm so glad we were able to make this work. We've been trying to schedule this for literally, I think, a month now, and um, with schedules and whatnot, I'm just so excited that you're here. Um, and in such an interesting time, right? I mean, it's, it, it seems like what only a couple weeks ago we had a, a major national breach in cybersecurity, which I don't want to dive too much into that yet. We'll get there. Let's do this. How in the world does one get into cybersecurity, and how did you get into cybersecurity? I was going to say, but most people get into cybersecurity because they fall asleep in a meeting and they get volunteered <laughs> by everybody else. But, but that, that wasn't my story. My, but, but, but my story was, uh, this was back in the 80s and I was about 16 and I loved architecture and I wanted to major in architecture and go into college. And a good family friend said, Eric, everything's moving to computers. That's Why true. don't you go into computer science and then you can do anything you want? So I said, hey, hey, that was good advice. So, so my first piece of advice for entrepreneurs, it is good to get advice from people who are smarter than you and, and to sometimes listen to that advice. So <laughs> I go in and I major in computer science and it was still engineering and Fortran and all that crazy yeah, stuff. Yeah, I remember and, Pascal and, sitting, and Fortran. And, and Pascal, exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm sitting there going, is this what I really want to do? And, and it's the weirdest thing because I was thinking about maybe switching majors or getting some experience. And I remember it was a Thursday afternoon. I was in my calculus class and something said, today, you must go to the intern office. Go to the intern office wow. and get a co-op. So I walk in there about 4.30, 30 minutes before they close. I'm like, listen, I'm computer science. I'd like to see what a real computer scientist does and get some experience. And she goes, Eric, your timing couldn't have been perfect. Once every two years, the CIA recruits on campus. Wow. They're coming tomorrow. And there's two seats left. Do you want one of them? So I'm like, yes. absolutely. <laughs> totally. I'm like, I'm like, I'm totally in. So I, I, I go into the interview and this is one part of my life that being boring was really good. Cause, cause I didn't drink until I was 21. I didn't do drugs. It was boring. <laughs> right. so, 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 so that actually plays when you're trying to get a clearance. So I, I go in and I pass all the polygraphs, do all that stuff. And then it's a reverse interview because interns at the CIA are free resources. So now when I start interviewing in each of the offices, they're trying to recruit me to work at their office. Oh, wow. So, okay, so, so they're trying to get you to come there at that point. Exactly, wow. so they're like, hey, you gotta do this. So I, I talked to a networking group, I talked to a programming group, I talked to uh, an analysis group, and I talked to this little tiny group of cybersecurity. And it's funny, I go back and I talk to my advisor and I ask people, I'm like, what should I do? And everyone is like, Eric, Go for networking, go for networking, go for networking. Wow. Cybersecurity is a fad. You don't oh, want to. It's here for now here. and then gone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but this is the other entrepreneurial advice. It's good to get advice from others, 
but always trust your inner instinct. So, so this was one where I didn't listen to the advice. I majored in, uh, I went to the office of security. I then started working on projects and it turns out there's no way to prove a system is secure. So wow. I then embarked on an eight year journey of being a professional hacker for the CIA. Wow. That is such a cool story. Now how, okay. That's so awesome. And I think you just shared there one of the greatest takeaways I think we could add to the end of the podcast today, which is listen to all the advice, trust your gut, or listen to all the advice, trust your instincts on what decision to make. I, I love that. Um, can you share any of your experience in that time or is that confidential? What does that look like? What did that look like for you from a career perspective? So it's one of those things, it sounds really exciting, and it was, it was for the first year or two, but here's the funniest part. After three years, it was boring right. as can be because you could always get in, right? You could always get in to any system. So that's why after eight years of being a professional hacker, I decided to focus on the defense because the offense was too easy. And the joke that I have is I'm sure my record has been broken, but but back in the 90s, I held the record for being able to get into a nuclear power plant in 67 seconds. Oh uh, I'm gosh. guessing today it's probably been beat, but, but it just shows you these systems are not designed with security and are more vulnerable than we think. That's unbelievable. Okay, so why'd you leave? <laughs> did it just get so boring or was it like career-wise like how did you decide you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do something different so so a couple reasons the the, the, the big reason was i realized because in the government they have something called time and grade that's right which means uh i got to a point where i wasn't eligible for promotion for seven years because people were ahead of me so even if i changed the prep for save the president's life i couldn't get promoted wow so that bothered me but the real real reason i left was i don't do well listening and please no offense <laughs> to anyone of listening to stupid people oh like if, if, if you tell me to do something that i know is stupid i, I have a problem with that so sure. so that's what i realized i have the entrepreneurial spirit right and i left there and i started building and selling cybersecurity companies ever since. Wow, that is so cool. What a neat story. Uh, for those who don't know, Dr. Cole has written a ton of great books, Advanced Persistent Threat. I mean, that sounds like a cra crazy book right there. Uh, Hackers Beware, Hiding in Plain Sight, Network Security Bible and Insider Threat. Um, 20 patents, applications, member of... If I could right? just do a quick I mean, holy cow. <laughs> yeah, because my new book, Cyber Crisis, comes Ooh. out May of this year. So you definitely want to pick up my new oh, book, perfect. Cyber Crisis. That's a perfect <laughs> plug. My gosh. Um, okay, let's talk about... So you decided to get in the entrepreneurship space um, around cybersecurity. Tell, what has changed since you got into the space over time? Like, What's new and different, just big picture, when you think about cyber, cyber crimes, etc.? Probably the big difference is... There's much more awareness. Okay. In 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 the nineties, if I went to a cocktail party and somebody said, Eric, what do you do? And I said, I do cybersecurity, they're like, What's what that? that? And then right. they, they like take their small small children and not let you talk to them the rest right. of the evening. Or a weirdo. Uh, now that. you tell people you work in cybersecurity and they're like, it's the coolest thing on the planet, and everybody is aware of it. But here's the other interesting shift. Back in the nineties, while many people didn't know what it was those that did took it very, very seriously. Interesting. Today, okay. everybody knows about cybersecurity, but the two fundamental problems that every entrepreneur has to realize is they believe they're not a target 
and that cybersecurity is somebody else's responsibility. I, I'm using Microsoft Azure. I'm using this. I'm using that to start up my tech company or start up any company sure. for that matter. I don't have to worry about security. I'm too small. No one's going to target me. And those are the biggest fallacies on the planet. That's so interesting. Um, and we're going to get there because I, what I want to do in a moment is is you know do a little of forecasting for our entrepreneurs about things they should be thinking about. Um, when what are the biggest you've worked with a lot of major companies and the governmental organizations obviously when you when you come in what is it you're typically doing are you doing i'll call it threat assessments so looking for or areas that are of weakness or are you trying to hack into systems like what does that look like in your world these days so right now i'm really focused on two things one is executive awareness because because decisions start at the top if the executives are not understanding and addressing security that they're a target, the people underneath them never will. So we're really trying to raise the awareness of what the real threats are. And then the second is we're doing security assessments where we're giving companies a comprehensive roadmap of what they need to do to fix and secure their enterprise. Because the, the problem today is most companies are spend money on the latest technique. And if the product says it is artificial intelligence with advanced correlation and analytics that can stop any attack on the planet. Right. It must be good. Spend the money and you'll be secure. And once again, uh, every company that's been compromised has those products, but a product doesn't make you secure. That's fascinating. Um, and so we got a lot to unpack here. Um, so let's, let's continue down that path a bit further. Let's just you're talking about companies that buy products and assume they're secure. In my world of consumer products um, and retailers, which we know there have been a number of breaches the last couple of years, especially, you know, a lot of them have legacy systems. Many of them are disaggregated, not integrated um, with different levels of security and maybe not even a, a security policy around all of those. What When you've worked with those types of companies, what are the, the biggest misses, I'll call it? What are the things that they've missed when there's a breach? But probably to me, the, the biggest miss of all is what I call not asking a second question. And what I mean by that is this. If we look at security, you can absolutely achieve 100% secure. We, we could take my cell phone, we could smash it to pieces, burn it to a crisp, bury it in a hole, and I think we could all agree it's 100% secure. Right. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. What is the value? So what we have to remember is this simple formula, 100% security equals zero functionality, which means just like the law of gravity, the law of security says anytime you add functionality, you're decreasing the security. Anytime you're adding in new systems, new services, anything, you're increasing the overall security risk. So here's what you need to do. Most people in most businesses ask one question. What is the value and benefit? What is the value and benefit? We can increase revenue. We can increase profitability. We can get more customers. Great, let's do it. But what you need to do and this is the big mistake is that companies don't ask the second question, which is what is the risk and exposure? So now what you do is say, here's the value and benefit, here's the risk and exposure. And now if the value and benefit are worth the risk and exposure, you do it. If the risk and exposure is too high, then you shouldn't put that in place. And a great example of this is Alexa. When, when, when the Alexa devices first came out, Everybody, all they looked at functionality. I can sit there and say, what's the weather? I can sit there and say, play the song. Everyone bought these things, threw them all over their house. Then two or three years later, it came out, which always shocks me, that Alexa is listening in and recording your conversation. And I get into these arguments. But with it people has like, to, right? I mean, it's, exactly kinda, that, it's waiting that, for that, you to say you. something. I mean, 
How could it not? <laughs> okay, thank you. But Justin, you have no idea how many people I they go, Eric, there's no way I'm it's listening. I go, then how does it answer? How does it and know? they're like, oh right. yeah. <laughs> so then all of a sudden when people found out the risk and exposure. What did they do? Everybody ripped Alexa out of the house. So the, the point is, as an entrepreneur in your business, you're going to have to take risks, but take them fully aware where you understand, don't only look at the value and benefit, ignore the risk until you get hacked or broken into. Sure. I love that. Um, one of the things that uh, large companies have done is they've added a new leadership role called the CISO. For those that don't know what a CISO is, Chief Information Security Officer. That's not the case at every company. Um, and my question for you, Dr. Eric Cole, is is that helpful or is it is it is it allowing companies to bring in someone who's really focused on the space versus depending on the CIO or CTO to kind of know security? <clears throat> if it's done correctly, it is a very smart thing to do. But here's the problem. Most companies treat the CISO, the chief information security officer, as a technical advancement for security engineers. So what they'll oh, do I is see. you have a security engineer who's been there for 10 or 12 years and they go, listen, if you don't give me the CISO title because I deserve it, I'm going to leave the company. So they go, OK, we'll give you the CISO title. And then all they end up doing is being a glorified technical oh, engineer. And, and the problem is there's no security strategy. A CISO role is a strategic executive that's focused on enabling the business. It's not a world class security engineer. So if you find a true strategic person, then that's who you want. But most companies are hiring the wrong person. And that's why one of the things I just launched with my company was a CISO certification, because there's a lot of smart people that could be good CISOs, but there's no training out there to help them think strategically and at a business. Like, for example, a security engineer would never know how to read a balance sheet. That's but if you're a sure. CISO and you need to know which asset in your organization is generating the most money so you could put more money protecting it, you better be able to read a profit and loss statement, a balance sheet. If you don't know the financials, how do you know how much to spend on security? And that's something that's just very alien to security people and security engineers. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So um, for those that haven't checked out secure-anchor.com, you can go learn all about um, Eric's work in this space certification. We'll talk about this in a few minutes, but just for those looking for the website. Um, and so, okay, we've dug in now in large companies. You mentioned starting your career in government and some of the concerns there. Like, what is the back office of public institutions look like? What does the core technology infrastructure look like? And is it secure? Or, I mean, do we have people all over that? Like, what does that look like? So, so yeah, I mean... They have really good infrastructure architecture, but here's the interesting thing. Most of these companies, these large companies, these government organizations and entities spent the last eight to 10 years, probably 15 to $20 million building out this huge infrastructure. robust infrastructure. Yes. So when you come in the office to work, you're protected, secure, and locked down. Then there was this little thing called the COVID that happened. <laughs> and now everybody is working from home right. and all that infrastructure and that whole concept is pretty much negated or minimal use. So uh, essentially now in 2021, we are starting from scratch because uh -huh. the whole architectural model no longer works. It's all distributed offices and distributed computing. And what led to the breach that we learned about only, what, two or three weeks ago? And, and it's interesting. There's not been a lot of detail about that. It was like there's been a major breach, but there's not much behind it. Like what, what led to that? 
So, so to me, what led to that was what I call the complacency of 90%. Oh, interesting. And what I mean by the complacency 90% is this, almost all of the major breaches that have happened, and this one I'm pretty confident occurred the same way, is you had a server accessible from the internet that was missing patches that contained critical data that wasn't properly encrypted. It's, it's almost the case in every single one of these situations, and I'm very confident it's what happened here. So he, here's the problem. If you look at these large government entities, these companies that were breached, do we really want to believe that they don't have asset inventory, they don't have patching, they're not encrypting the data? No, but here's the problem. 90% of their servers are properly inventory. 90% of their servers are patched. It could be 94, 95. I just use 90 as a sure. rough estimate. But, but here's the part that everyone misses. If you have a thousand servers and only 90% of them are patched, locked down and secure. At least 100 that are not patched. Ooh, you took advanced math. I love it. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I'm and and that's guy. the problem. They're overlooking that. So what we need to do is the critical areas. Any systems accessible from the internet must be 100% patched and must never contain critical data. If we followed those simple rules, these breaches, including the recent one, would not have happened. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a, a non-technical, like someone listening right now is like, I don't work in security. I have no idea what they're talking about, but this is an interesting conversation. So uh, here's a question for them. How do you know when you've been hacked or breached? Like, I mean, when do you know it? Like for some of these, you know, like how, how did the government find out? Uh, how did uh, one of the major retailers that got hacked find out? Like, when do they know that? The, the unfortunate answer is which is gonna, it's going to sound like I'm joking, but I'm not. The way that most companies find out they're breached is one of three ways. Either the FBI calls you because they found accidental discovery. Got it. The second method is, and I kid you not, but this happens more times than not, the CEO or COO is watching evening news and they see their company on the news as breached and they're like, oh, wow, what? we got breached. It's the media that notifies them. And then the third way is paying a ransom. Right, the ransomware piece. I, yeah. I figured that was the most obvious. And for, yeah. you know, like my laptop is locked down. I have to pay money to unlock it to get all the things, or we're going to delete your hard drive or whatever. I mean, that one to me is the most obvious. But the other ones are the ones that I'm like, I, I don't know. How would I even know? If you're a big yeah. corporate entity, I don't, right? Yeah. In, in, in most of the cases, and this happened in the Solar Winds, it's the IT department that notices performance issues on systems. And when they investigate, they realize they were breached. They so the, the one that I know of that was sort of the foothold of, of the solar winds was a government agency had a server that previously was at 60% utilization. And all of a sudden it was 100% and it was slow. So one of the IT guys said, wait a second, this yeah. doesn't make sense. They went in and they're like, wait, why is all of our data being exfiltrated out of the organization? This is a problem. Wow. Crazy. Um, okay, let's. So that's good. We we, co we covered big corporate entities in the CPG retail space. We talked about government. Let's talk about the entrepreneur. We got a lot of those listening, um, and they're just building out infrastructure. Most of them are jumping on cloud platforms because that's the easiest and fastest way to get going. Uh, many of them offer services uh, in, off those cloud platforms, or, or um, are, are are making product and using the cloud platform as their back office, right, for manufacturing, distribution, etc. Um, things that might be important to to that type of in industry might be payments. Um, it might be IP, you know, that they're developing, you know, a product IP. Um, there might be connected products or 
devices. So think Internet of Things, uh, et cetera. Like when you think about that and, and thinking about our audience, Eric, like what are the things they should be thinking about? Uh, so first and foremost, they need to recognize that you're going to have to deal with security. You're going to have to deal with it. So you can either spend $1,000 now to put the basic measures in place, or you can ignore it and in nine or 12 months, spend twenty to 30000 or even more on addressing, fixing. And especially small companies, if you have a breach where you've lost customer confidence, you've lost intellectual property, and you've lost downtime, your probability of going out of business is much, much greater than a really large organization. Totally. So, totally. so you need to recognize the risks are higher. The other thing you have to recognize, most people that are doing startups, they believe so much and they've lived their technology, they don't think it has any real value. They're like, Eric, I don't have anything that I, and, and I start going through with them. Okay, bank accounts, credit cards, right, customers, right. intellectual property. And, and they're like, oh, so oh, yeah. you, you got to remember, you're so much easier to break into that even though you have less information, how, if I want to break in and steal customer records, I could go after a large Fortune 10 bank, but they have hundreds of people and hundreds of millions of dollars. It's going to be really hard. Or, if I still want to steal a million records, I can break in to 100,000 small businesses, steal 10,000 records from each of them who has no security, no monitoring, nothing. It's going to be easier, simpler, and quicker. And I'm going to get my 1 million records a lot faster. So sure. we're seeing a big shift where the wow, attackers are going after the smaller companies in volume instead of the one larger company. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, and and yeah, I I don't know that it's top of mind. I don't. I, we'd have to. It'd be interesting to do a poll of our entrepreneurial audience and and ask where they put put security on the list. And I, I mean, I know it's there. I just don't know. You know, in, in the in the hype of building a business and all, whether that's priority. That's fascinating. Um, talk about things like cookies, privacy agreements, privacy settings, and and whatnot. As it you know, for the typical user, uh, internet user and, and phone user and whatnot, what are the things that they should be thinking about when they see those things pop up? I, I tell you, I brought up because because this is my favorite time of year for cookies because Oreo comes out with the double stuff. Uh, <laughs> Dude, mint, I love Oreo, chip, which, which I love so much. Oreo so, yeah, is so good. I mean, <laughs> seriously, it might be my favorite <laughs> right. cookie. Yeah. No, I know, I know you meant internet cookies. So, yeah. so, so here's how it goes. I'm gonna I'm gonna give everyone a real quick hacking 101. Yes, and so please. Gonna... By the way, just give everyone also a 101 of what is a cookie. I know we expect everyone to know, but some people don't know what that is. Yeah. So what it comes down to is if somebody is going to break into your organization, they need to target a system to break in. And really, it's two things. You have servers and you have clients. Now, most small businesses outsource the servers to the cloud, That's which right. if you put the right measures in place, they're very secure. We haven't had any major breaches of that. But, but here's one thing that I would recommend to entrepreneurs is you still want to have insurance. And the reason is this, you can outsource functionality, you can outsource security, but you can't outsource liability. If that sure. provider gets compromised, they're not suing the cloud provider, they're suing you. So you still need to want to make sure you have some cyber insurance to protect you on that front. Then on the client side, the two most dangerous applications on the planet are browsers right. and email clients. They're, they're right. the source of all evil. <laughs> right. yeah. so, That's why so many companies do all this training about what to open and not open an email. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I take a different approach because I can go in and I can sit there 
and I've done this and I can have a room of 30 people and I can do cybersecurity awareness for 45 minutes telling them, don't click on links, don't click on links, don't click on links. I can even give specific examples. But I will tell you right now, if they walk out of that meeting and they get an email today that says five coworkers infected with COVID and it says, please click on this link to see if you've come in contact with these people. Even though I just went over that scenario, I will guarantee you 50% of the people or more will click on the link. Oh my God. I can see that too. Yeah. So, so the, the problem is we can sit there and say, don't click on links. Don't click on attachments. We can say, don't surf to unknown websites. Uh, a cookie is a piece of information that they put on your system that they can track your activity. Uh, a great example of a cookie is if you've ever gone in and you can see this with social media uh, and you, let's say you click on a couple of advertisements for, for like shopping. Uh, books. Yeah, for, for shopping, yeah. yeah. You let, let's say for sports coats. Sure. They're going to they're gonna drop your cookie. So the next time you go to that social media site, all the ads are going to be. Right. Suit, 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 Facebook, suit. Instagram, all of them are customized. Like, I just was shopping for fry shoes and now I see the fry ad. It's amazing. <laughs> exactly. So so it's how they track all of you. So, so, so my advice for protecting against phishing, drive-by downloads, cookie scams, all those things it is quite simple. Use two devices. So here's how I work. I go in and I do all my work on a Windows computer. This is where I create my proposals, I do my work, I create my courses. Then I have a separate device, which I like an iPhone or an iPad, and I check all my email and I surf the web on a non-Windows-based device. Now, let me explain why this is powerful. I can't wait to hear this. Two reasons. One, it's not that Windows is more vulnerable, it's that 90% of the devices on the planet are Windows. So we went, since COVID's come out, we've looked at 372 different specimens of COVID-related malware and spyware and phishing attacks. 100% of it runs on a Windows computer. So if you're using a non-Windows device, the probability of the malware running is very, very slim. Now, there's another reason. Even if somebody goes in and can write malware or a phishing scam for an iPhone, if I'm checking my email and surfing the web on my iPhone, I don't have any critical data on it. So now, even if it gets compromised, I could re-image it. They don't get any data. There's no damage. So when I train executives, I train my mom, I train my friends, and I do the same thing is check email and surf the web on a non-Windows device and then do all your work on a Windows device, but never check email and never surf the web. And if you can build that one habit, that one simple habit, almost all of the client-based ransomware goes away, phishing goes away, data, all these attacks go away if you just can focus in on that one simple habit. So I'm a MacBook Pro guy. Um, in fact, I'm looking at the, on my desk here. Um, does that mean that I'm safer or, or not? Does it matter if you're on the Mac platform or, you know what I'm saying? Or what does that look like? So I would say today, right now, based on what we're seeing, yes, you are safer. However, that doesn't mean you're safe completely because sure. you, the, the real rule of it is you never want to check email and surf the web on the same computer that has all your critical data. Got it. Because it's too much in one basket. So you're you're better off using a non-Windows system for the work, but you still want to have that device separation. Got it. Makes sense. That's fascinating. (coughs) Um, You've got a new book coming out, as you mentioned earlier. Talk about what that book is and what you've highlighted in it. 
Uh, so, so the book is Cyber Crisis, and it came about because all of my other books were really very technical focused. Okay. Network Security Bible, right. Advanced Persistent Threat, they're all very technical. And what I realized is the problem we have with cybersecurity today is not that we don't have smart technical people. Every company that's had a breach has brilliant technical people. The problem is executive awareness and cybersecurity strategy. Those are the pieces that are missing. So I wrote a book, Cyber Crisis, that's really for non-technical. It's it's awesome. meant for executives, but it could be parents, teachers, other folks. And what it really does is, is lay down the reality with factual evidence of what's really happening, what's occurring, what will continue to occur, and what you need to do to protect against it. And what's interesting to me, and nobody is going to believe me, but when you write a book, I finished writing the book in early March of 2020. Oh my gosh. Just to give everyone everyone a sense for timing, we were were recording this in January 2021, so two or three quarters later. Go ahead. And, and, and I made predictions like the voting and the, and those things and, <laughs> right. and, and attack vectors and stuff. And no one's going to believe me, but I said by the end of the year, we're going to have a major breach that's going to impact governments. It's going to be supply chain. That happened. I said there's going to be some major uh, questions on the integrity of voting machines. And that happened. And then I also predicted that you're going to have a lot more shift of attacks going from large companies to smaller companies because they're easier and simpler to break into. And that happened. So so a lot of what we said is happening is happening. But the great thing about this book is it gives you actual things you can do to implement, protect and secure your organization. Love that. That's I think that's great. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, that in the IT world, um, <laughs> business people don't haven't engaged in the past is they think it's too confusing or difficult. And I think the security space is, is similar. Right. And so I think that's awesome. I can't wait to check that out. And we'll have to have you back on when the book comes out as well. Um, oh, that'd be awesome. That. Thank you. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. Um, last but not least, I'd love for you to share, you know, you you've started your own businesses in this space. Um, you've, you've become a real expert in this space. Share with our audience, like, what would be two or three lessons learned that you've experienced in building your own business in the cybersecurity space? Probably the first one is even though cybersecurity is a broad area, is really, and I know there's the book Blue Ocean Strategy, but I'm really a big fan of find your niche. And I, I had my company for five years and I was struggling to grow. And the reason was I was trying to do everything. Anytime work came in, I was the yes man. Sure, we can do it. Sure. And and what that leads to is inefficiencies, lower profitability and less scalability. What what I learned now is focus, focus, focus. So now Secure Anchor, we, we do assessments, we do CISO training, and we do expert witness consulting. That is it. If it doesn't fit within those buckets, we're not going to take the contracts. We'll refer to somebody else. But what I realized is learning your expertise and mastering it and delivering it not only lets you have better scalability, it lets you get better known, but you can differentiate yourself from the market because right now I have trained more CISOs than anybody else. So I have that differentiation. If I tried doing a hundred things last year, I wouldn't be able to get that credential and that uh, buildup. Got it. That's a, that's a great one. Um, and you're right. It is a big space, and you can really specialize in, in aspects of cybersecurity. That's, I think that's excellent. Eric, finally, why don't you share with our audience where they can connect with you, how they can uh, learn more about your services and reach out, et cetera? 
Excellent. So if you're interested in cybersecurity, I would say definitely go to YouTube and look up my Life of a CISO podcast. I do it every week. It's all security focused. If if you're interested in entrepreneur motivation, things like that, I always believe giving back to the community because I bought and sold some companies. So if you just follow me, E-R-I-C-C-O-L-E, Dr. Eric Cole, Facebook, LinkedIn. I, I still, I, everyone says I'm supposed to be on IG, but I think the only reason is so my children can make fun of me because I don't think I get customers on that. But if you're an IG fan, I'm on there too. But I do a lot on LinkedIn. And I always like to reach out. So I give my email, ecole at secure-anchor.com. I'd love to hear from you if I can help you, if I can assist you, or we can uh, answer any questions. I'd love to hear from anybody. That's so great. Well, hey, it's been so great having you on the podcast. Look forward to staying in touch. Can't wait to check out your book. And we'll have you back on later this year. Sounds good. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck and powered by Contender Brands. You can download additional ContenderCast episodes directly via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, iHeartMedia, YouTube, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the ContenderCast, connect with us at ContenderCast.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.